Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Countdown to Kickoff. I am your host, Anthony Denmark, Denmark Life the Country, a.k.a. Copenhagen, a.k.a. Denny. And this episode is brought to you by EatDrinkSleepSports.com. And since sports never stops, since sports never sleeps, that means we always have something to talk about. And since Mason's back, heck, I'm back, you're back, let's go ahead and discuss the latest happenings in the world of college sports. Let's get it. And welcome back, college football fans. Welcome back. Antonio Galloway from Florida, who's been officially reinstated back into the program. Welcome back. Alfonso Taylor, who is also cleared of all charges of DUI and resisting arrest, and is now back in the good graces of Alabama. And again, welcome, college football fans. We are now two days away from our first action on Thursday. We are also now literally less than four days away from the opening of the college football season. No disrespect to Hawaii and California. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, welcome to Countdown to Kickoff. I am your host, Anthony Denmark. And as usual, we have a lot of things to discuss on today's show. And I'm going to try to squeeze in everything uh, with the help of uh, a couple of guests, tackle a couple of tough topics. And also uh, make some uh, parallels to uh, the latest incidents that took place in uh, not just college sports, but in the NFL uh, today. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and start our show uh, with our breaking news segment. In breaking news, uh, Teddy Bridgewater former Louisville Cardinal, current Minnesota Viking. He suffered a debilitating injury, and he is now going to be lost for the season. And, of course, you do know that this show, we primarily focus on college sports, specifically college football. Uh, But we're going to make a connection here because we do know that injuries do happen. And when we talk about preseason rankings and Heisman favorites, Each year, we oftentimes see these races ultimately decided not often by the most talented team uh, or player, uh, but by the uh, team or player who's been able to weather the storm of tough injuries. We, of course, saw that happen when Trevon Boykins went down. We saw that happen uh, when Baker Mayfield uh, went down. And uh, the absence of these premier players ultimately end up uh, costing uh, the TCU Horn Frogs a chance at a national championship. And we can also say that it possibly even cost uh, the Oklahoma Sooners a chance at a national championship as, of course, uh, Baker Mayfield got injured in uh, the uh, college football playoffs semifinals. So in light of the Teddy Bridgewater injury, later on in the show, uh, we're going to talk about some of these top 25 teams who are led by talented quarterbacks and talk about their backups because we do know that backups oftentimes ultimately end up holding the fate of a college football team and determining uh, their success or determining how far they can go. And so 
We're going to talk about some of these college football backup uh, later on in the show. What else we got? In other breaking news, uh, Alabama and Michigan. No, they have not decided to play. No, uh, the USC has not uh, signed and sealed a potential fighting matchup between Jim Harbaugh and uh, Nick Saban. No, both Michigan and Alabama have yet to name a starting quarterback. Uh, When asked about those particular questions, these two elite coaches gave us two names, two names that we already know. In the case of Alabama, we were told about Blake Barnett and uh, Cooper Bateman. In the case of Michigan, we were told that it may be O'Corn or it may be Will Spates. So while other coaches have announced who their starting quarterbacks are going to be, uh, these two coaches who, of course, are not one to fall by anybody's pressure, have decided to wait until kickoff. It's likely that that decision will likely not be made known until we see who comes out on the field. So uh, will it be one of those four? At least we know it will be one of those four, and uh, I guess that means that uh, Cecil Hurts, I'm sorry, Jalen Hurts, will likely possibly get a red shirt. And uh, we know that uh, Mazzoni will likely also probably get a red shirt. And uh, we know that uh, Stephen Morris, full allegiance to his hometown team of Michigan, will likely be given a clipboard. So what else we got? Lastly, uh, on my past show, I posed a question in regards to uh, the Colin Kaepernick saying not to stand. And I questioned if, in fact, it would have an impact on college football players in regards to making a decision either one to follow suit. Well, All-American cornerback uh, George Lewis, very well-spoken gentleman, he also made his statements known. He said that although he does agree with the motivations and action that uh, Colin Kaepernick, of course, was standing not to stand, uh, agreed with it. Nevertheless, he believes that uh, he actually is going to stand for the pledge of the, for the national anthem. But I just do wonder that is definitely something uh, it's going to be something to watch uh, during opening game. I'm more than sure that cameras and reporters will definitely be paying close attention, not just to the action that will take place on Thursday in preseason action, but also to see uh, if, in fact, Colin Kaepernick may have had some form of on uh, some of the college athletes who, of course, are impressionable in their own right and also uh, have a tendency uh, to make their own particular stance. We saw uh, that something similar to that happened uh, with the uh, Northwestern Wildcats when they attempted to try to uh, – get the athletes to get employee status. So it's definitely something that's going to be something interesting to watch, not on besides just the games. All right, uh, that wraps up the uh, breaking news segment. Uh, the breaking news segment, again, is brought to you by EatDrinkSleepSports.com. That's E-A-T-D-R-N-K-S-L-P-S-P-R-T-Z.com. Now, on my past show, uh, pretty much what we've been doing throughout this summer is we've been doing what I call the countdown to kickoff, where you've had guests come on to share their insights and expertise, uh, specifically uh, for sports writers who cover those particular teams. We've gone from coast to coast, from sea to shining sea, attempting to not leave any stone unturned if, in fact, the team 
uh, didn't matter if the team made a bowl game. We wanted to know uh, what the expectations were uh, for those particular teams going into this upcoming season. Now, one of the teams that we uh, covered last week was the uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and I really did not speak too highly of them. And uh, the guest writer who was supposed to come on to the show, we had some technical difficulties, and uh, I really wanted to see uh, his thoughts in order to uh, determine if, in fact, he thought that I may have been right. In my statements, uh, to clarify, I said that I believe that Notre Dame's highest ranking for the season will likely be where they start in the AP preseason top 25. And I said these things because whenever you mention that your most talented playmakers are two quarterbacks and you don't mention a running back or a wide receiver, then you find yourself in a situation where you're duplicating uh, the talent. And since only one guy can actually play simultaneously at one time, then ultimately that says that you really do not have any other playmakers. And although having a quarterback as your playmaker, that is not enough, in my own opinion, uh, to be able to uh, weather the storm of a Notre Dame schedule that we all know is going to wait for him to uh, call into the show uh, so we can possibly get him on the line uh, to share his insights and expertise. Uh, but until uh, he comes on the line, uh, I guess I wanted to – I guess we could jabber a little bit about college football. Now, one of the things that uh, we're going to be doing, I told you guys before, uh, on Countdown to Kickoff, we're going to be trying to upgrade some things. Of course, if you heard the intro, we have an outro, and we're going to be introducing a new segment. Uh, for the past, I say, 12 years, uh, one of my closest friends uh, – Tony Jackson, we have done something where we would always have uh, – we would do predictions on the college football games. Uh, we would literally go straight from the schedule for that upcoming week, and we would pick all the games. And at times, you know, most times I find myself losing, but that's because I am one who takes risks. And he, of course, always had tendencies to find himself winning because he always played it safe. So I figured – why not go ahead and incorporate those picks that we made into my show and also on the website? So uh, each week uh, we're going to be doing those picks on Thursday uh, to for the upcoming week. So uh, I believe on this Thursday uh, we're going to be previewing, I believe, of course, Notre Dame, Texas, USC, USC, Alabama, Oklahoma, Houston, and uh, his favorite team, Tennessee, Tennessee, Appalachian State and uh, a lot of other uh, big matchups that are, of course, going to uh, um, occur throughout the season. Uh, so that's definitely something I'm really excited to do, especially considering the fact that those records are now going to be made public. It really uh, puts a additional pressure on me uh, to make sure that I actually uh, attempt to be, be more conservative with my picks and uh, I, I try to uh, take my uh, unfettered, blind allegiance to Kansas State out of the equation when attempting to make picks and also uh, attempt to uh, not be as risky. So that's something I'm excited that we're going to add to uh, the podcast throughout the season. So be sure, make sure you can check out the website as you can follow our picks and also, of course, express your concern or your disdain about those picks. But moving on. Uh, throughout this, one of the things that I do on my Twitter is whenever I'm on Twitter, I have a tendency to comment on the latest happenings in college football. 
either if it be relevant because it happened in the NFL or based off the fact they are pro athletes, which is something that college athletes aspire to be if, in fact, they are successful at the so-called amateur level. So yesterday, uh, Joey Bosa finally signed a contract with the uh, Cleveland, I'm sorry, the uh, San Diego Chargers, Bravo. He ultimately ended up signing for a guaranteed $17 million. I'm one who's never wanted to say that no one should get their money. Uh, but nevertheless, I found myself espousing my uh, unfettered um, displeasure or lack of uh, excitement about Joey Bosa's addition. And, I, uh, of course, I was met with not much uh, fanfare. As a Twitter handler told me that I was being a troll turd and in regards to questioning the uh, talent and the uh, impact uh, that Joey Bosa would have on this upcoming season. Now, we do know that in college football and the NFL, they're two different games. And oftentimes the, the athletic freak or the technician uh, at the college level can find themselves succeeding uh, due to the fact that uh, the opposing teams that they play are either one less talented or either two just not really hip uh, to the schematic techniques that are needed to be effective at the NFL level. And uh, I said that, you know what, Joey Bosa, every time we see highlights on Joey Bosa, the highlights are always what? Against sorry teams. Anytime you see the highlights, you see the highlights of him. I, I charted the teams. It's either against Illinois. It's either against Penn State. It's either against uh, Indiana. And it's never against elite competition. Because when, in fact, he finds himself facing off against a leadership where the talent is either at an equal or even playing field, he often finds himself being neutralized and not being as effective. And so, ultimately, I said to myself, you know what, I'm not really impressed. Now, of course, you have a right to disagree. But one thing I do like is that regardless of where you may find yourself sitting on the matter, uh, the truth of the matter is the guy told me, well, look how he played against Oregon. Well, look how he played against Alabama. So I pulled up the stats. And against Oregon and Alabama, he had a combined five tackles, no sacks, no forced fumbles. And I said, I'm not really impressed. Well, he was double teamed. Well, you know, ultimately, the true testament of how good a player truly is is based on his ability to be effective in spite of those double teams. And I politely just brought up one particular player who oftentimes was not only double but triple teamed, and the guy I brought up was a guy that the Ohio State Buckeyes faced off against, and that was uh, Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack, of course, before becoming an all-pro linebacker and defensive end for the Oakland Raiders, he was earning his keep uh, with the Buffalo, Buffalo University. And oftentimes, of course, he was the only pro athlete on the squad, so oftentimes he was double and triple teamed. But in spite of that, he still thrived. And I made that comparison because I said that Khalil Mack, of course, went second in the draft to uh, Jadavion Klein, which now looks stupid or foolish. And, of course, we do know that Joey Bosa found himself going three. And so, you know, maybe it's unfair to compare those guys because Khalil Mack right now is probably the most dominant player in the NFL, not named Von Miller and not named uh, J.J. Watt. So maybe that's an unfair comparison. But I, I, I again believe that, of course, uh, Things should possibly change, but you consider the fact that he's not even going to participate in the last uh, preseason game uh, on Thursday, which, of course, is a reasonably irrational decision to make because you don't want your guy to get injured. 
But you just say that he's behind the eight ball and the technique that, of course, I believe ultimately uh, gave him a, a superior advantage uh, when he was in college. I could find that possibly being neutralized at the NFL level where the guys are just as talented and their technique is often just as sound. But, of course, as I say in life, as I say in sports, uh, we're definitely going to see what's happening. And, of course, of course, now, if you haven't been able to realize yet, but uh, I wasn't able to call in the guy. Guy was as elusive as the rusher. And uh, to talk about uh, Notre Dame. But let's go ahead and uh, transition and talk about the Oregon Ducks. You know, there was a time when Oregon was considered an elite program, and it seems as if now with Coach Helfrich at the helm that uh, they are slowly beginning to decline. Uh, and, no, I'm, I'm not discounting the fact that they, of course, played in the national championship game less than two years ago, but we do see that uh, they just don't look as elite and uh, as representative as the fact that they are starting the season ranked uh, number 21 in the AP Top 25. But, you know, maybe things will get better in Oregon, but to get questions answered about Oregon, let's go ahead and get Rusty Ryan. He covers the Oregon Ducks for AddictedToQuack.com and also AchillesSmith.com to find out uh, what we should expect for the Oregon Ducks coming up this season. Let's get him on the line. Welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Now, we do know that this upcoming season, in my own opinion, I believe for Coach Helfrich, it's going to be a proven season for him. Of course, he's not under the hot seat as of yet, but the program seems to have be on the decline since the exit of Marcus Mariota. Now, is that an accurate assessment, or uh, am I just off all the way? I think that's a pretty uh, premature assessment to make. I mean, it was one year. Um, granted, it wasn't great at times, but uh, this is a team that was, like as you said, two years removed from a national title game and uh, pretty much made a BCS game all of Chip Kelly's years. So, uh, like, I mean, one example is there were just like a few bad breaks that came throughout the season and granted, um, a lot of football comes down to a few plays, but, uh, if Oregon doesn't let Washington score with like a second left in the game, then Oregon would have gone on to play in the PAC 12 championship against a USC team that they handled later in the season and would have won the PAC 12 championship. I'm making a few assumptions there, but it just is like a small, uh, example of, how a few plays kind of broke the season in one direction. So I think it 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 is easy to see or say that uh, that there's a decline, but I think it's very premature to be saying that. Absolutely. And, of course, we do know that ultimately uh, the answers will be decided based off of their play on the field. And, you know, Mark mm-hmm. Hedlitz has definitely done a good job thus far during his tenure at Oregon. Uh, but, you know, Mark Hedlitz has been known mostly to be a quarterback whisper before being met the head coach at Oregon. He was a quarterback coach. But it seems as if uh, the Oregon Ducks have been unable to develop their own recruits and have had to resort to, I guess you could call it, rent a quarterback. Of course, it was successful with Vernon Adams Jr. Uh, And now we have a new quarterback uh, transfer from Montana State and Dakota Puka. Who is this guy and uh, what should we expect from him in this upcoming season? Yeah, uh, well, Dakota Prukop um, he is a like a, more of a running threat than Vernon Adams was. I wouldn't say he's as accurate on the intermediate routes, but he does a lot of damage uh, throwing deep off the play action, and Oregon runs play action on their passing about 74% of the time. 
Um, the difference between Adams and Prukop is that Adams had played all the time. I had two to three games against FBS opponents and had shredded. Like they played Washington, they played Oregon State. Um, he did extremely well. Uh, Prukop has not had that experience yet against the top FBS team. And so that's something that, I mean, that's the one thing that concerns me going into this. It's like we saw Vernon Adams play at the level that he played at with Oregon. Um, but Prukop has also had the last like nine months since he enrolled early at Oregon, which Vernon Adams was not able to do. Um, and a lot of the grad transfers in at quarterback is really a result of Marks Mariota being a three-year starter. And as soon as he stepped foot on campus, apparently it was a, pretty obvious that he was going to be the guy to take over after Darren Thomas. Um, And during that transition, there were about four quarterbacks who enrolled and then ended up transferring out. Um, One ended up never developing. uh, And that's why we ended up, uh, and then one guy broke his foot last year who would have been the backup. So another example of things not breaking correctly, but the one thing that does give me pause is uh, Travis Johnson was going to be the backup quarterback this year on paper. He had the broken foot last year, but after fall camp, he's shown up uh, fourth on the depth chart behind a true freshman. Um, so that is slightly concerning. Um, but that's something I would have only, I only brought up like two days ago since the depth chart actually came out. Absolutely. Of course, you know, uh, uh, the guy you spoke of is Travis Johnson. He, uh, of course, yeah. at this particular juncture, has not announced what he's going to do. But if, in fact, he does transfer, he would make the fourth uh, four-star quarterback to transfer from Oregon, including uh, Bennett, uh, Jake Rodriguez, and, uh, of course, the young man from Hawaii, Mahalik. But, you know, that happens, and that happens all over the country. That happens at mm-hmm. Alabama. That happens at Florida State. So it's something that's common. You know, guys want to play. They don't want to wait. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, we want to, of course, focus on the offense because when I looked at the offense with weapons at, at Oregon's, and I said to myself, I mean, these guys, you got an Olympian and, uh, and Allen. You have Addison, who I pray has overcome his demons. And, of course, you have uh, a lot of other weapons on at their disposal. What should we expect the wideout position this year? Oh, man, like the wideout, to the wideout roles. Um, like Oregon's always had really athletic people and really fast people. Um, the, what makes this unit different is Darren Carrington who is really one of the, like, a pure wide receiver that Oregon really hasn't had as long as I can remember, um, maybe since the mid-2000s, where he's just one guy that's just heads and tails above everybody else, just makes a ton of plays while still being extremely athletic. Uh, that position is so deep, like, I don't even know how people are going to get enough catches that they probably should deserve. Like, I almost wish I could, like, trade some wide receivers to another team desperately needs them, and we can maybe get some four- and five-star offensive linemen. Absolutely. Now, of course, again, I'm on the line with Rusty Ryan. He covers uh, the Oregon Ducks for AddictedToQuack.com. Now, of course, you know, one of the things that's often when you talk about an Oregon offense, you know, one aspect of the offense this, these past three seasons has been the uh, guy by the name of Royce uh, Friedman, who, in my opinion, may be the most underrated running back in the country. I think if, in fact, he played in the time where he didn't have to uh, share the shine in the Pac-12 with uh, that young man from Stanford and uh, Christian McCaffrey, and also, of course, with uh, Leonard Fournette, he'd be a, he'd be a household name. Uh, what should we expect from this upcoming season? I mean, at, at this rate, this guy's definitely uh, on pace to possibly uh, become the uh, career-leading rusher. 
uh, at Oregon. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's crazy because he weighs like 230 pounds and runs away from people. And so he just does some things that 230-pound people should not necessarily be able to do. Um, and definitely Oregon's four-loss season last year really really kind of tampered down any large media attention that the offense got um, because of the quarterback position, the defense was playing awful. Um, and as you said, like the running back position is just so deep. Uh, like nobody even really talks about Dalvin Cook that much, who I think is probably the best running back uh, playing at the college level right now, not necessarily the best pro running back, uh, but he's performing the best out of, I think, any college running back. Uh, one of the things that Royce has really improved upon in the last year is running routes. Like at the end of last season, you saw a lot of uh, a lot of plays where he was motioned out of the backfield or was able to take people in the slot. And his ability to now uh, beat linebackers deep and uh, even make moves on a few safeties is what really is going to take his game to the next level and hopefully make sure that he gets a second-round draft pick just because running backs aren't valued that highly anymore in the NFL. Absolutely. Of course, you know, one characteristic he definitely shares with Dalvin Cook is although they're dynamic on the field, they're not two they're two guys who definitely do not seek the media attention and that may have been a reason why they find themselves not often talked about, uh, despite their impressive play on the field. Now, when I mentioned uh the Oregon Duck on Twitter, I said, No offense, but uh where's the defense? And of course we do know that uh Pelham has been reassigned, and uh, there's a new defensive coordinator. Uh, uh, people down in Ann Arbor, of course, know who he is, and I'm sure the guys down in San Diego State know who he is. Uh, the guy I'm referring to is Brady Hoke. Now, what is his defensive philosophy, and uh, how is he going to uh, change the defense that uh, seemed to uh, be fairly inconsistent last season? Uh, saying it was it's fairly inconsistent is probably the nicest possible way you could have put it. Um, Absolutely. Like Oregon has never Oregon has never done well in terms of traditional football statistics like yards against, points against, just because there are so many possessions that each team gets in an Oregon game. Uh, like Stevens can be playing 80 plays, whereas a team like Alabama, with how they take the ball out, uh, air out of the ball, they only will defend like 60 to 65 plays. Um, so our defense is always at a disadvantage in terms of national recognition. So I always like to look at the more advanced stats like uh, F-plus, S&P-plus. And normally Oregon has always been in the top 15 of those statistics. Um, but last year they were like 125th. Like it was awful. Um, so Brady Hoax come in. Um, the positives is that he's bringing uh, the 4-3 with him. We are deviating away from the 3-4 we have been running um, and establishing more of a one-gap system. And so the two-gap system that Oregon used last year, which – ended up being completely ineffective and definitely didn't have the right players to be running it. Um, and we're optimistic about Brady Hoke because at every school he's been at as a head coach, his defense has always jumped to being one of the top in the country the next year. Having said that, he's never been a defensive coordinator in like the last 15 or so years. So that's the downside. That's a cause for concern. So I think moving to a fourth, uh, at least a one gap, um, defensive scheme is going to be huge. Uh, like if the defense is anywhere just close to average, even below average, um, I'm really confident that Oregon's going to win nine or more games again. Absolutely. Now, of course, you know, uh, again, I'm on the line with Rusty Ryan. He covers the Oregon Ducks who are addicted to quack.com. Now, of course, we do know that one characteristic 
one of my biggest concerns specifically is about the defensive line. Now, DeForest Buckner is now with former Oregon uh, star uh, in San Francisco, and I really have a lot of questions at all three levels of the defense. Uh, who do you see uh, filling in for DeForest Buckner? I mean, this guy was a beast. He was amazing. It was a one-man wrecking crew, uh, and the defense still struggled. I mean, who do we expect? Who should we expect to uh, the Oregon Ducks to rely on heavily on defense, uh, at least in the trenches? Yeah, uh, definitely. Like, DeForest Buckner is definitely one of probably the most talented defensive linemen, or at least the defensive end, uh, to come out of the school. Like, maybe the only other more dominant defensive lineman uh, was Holotinata, but that was in, like, the early 2000s. Um, so moving to a 4-3, I think that'll work really well with uh, with all the linemen that, that Oregon is able to get um, in recruiting. So a few of the guys that are going to be real standouts to start off is Henry Mondo. He's a defensive tackle. He played uh, interior defensive on the defensive tackle in the 3-4. Um, and by the end of the year, he was one of the best pass rushers on the team. So he's going to play in the defensive tackle role. Um, another player to really watch out for is Canton. Oh, man, some of these names are so diff- so difficult to pronounce, like Kamatule. Um, he's yeah, another like 300 pounder. Yeah, who's really fast. Um, so uh, Rex Manu, I think, is going to be doing really well. So uh, Oregon gets a lot of really fast 300 pounders, but not a really not a bunch of 300 pounders that can like completely dominate somebody like Buckner could and play both gaps. I think going back to the one gap, like you said, is really going to help guys like Henry Mondo, Rex Manu, and Canton Kamatule. Absolutely. Now, of course, I said that because I wanted you to attempt to announce his name. Canton Kamatule, of course, came to Oregon as a five-star player. This guy had all the hype. The only question is, will he be able to finally put it together in his sophomore campaign? Now, last question. Uh, Where do you see the ceiling of the Oregon Ducks? Uh, I mean, you very rarely hear opposing teams start talking trash about facing Oregon. But, I mean, during the offseason, Nebraska – has been nothing but popping them gums talking about not only do they want Oregon, but they plan on beating Oregon. I mean, we haven't heard trash talk like this in a while. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's fantastic, especially when it comes from backup offensive linemen. Um, so it's that the Nebraska matchup is definitely going to be interesting, especially since uh, Mike Riley, who's in his second year there, was the former coach at Oregon State for a bunch of years. Um, although in his time at Oregon State, he was only able to beat Oregon four times. Granted, Nebraska gets a totally different caliber of player than Oregon State does, uh, but Nebraska still has probably more questions than Oregon has to answer. Uh, so, like, looking at the schedule, the obvious, the obvious tough games are Nebraska, just because it's in, uh, in the state of corn. Um, Oregon gets Washington at home, Stanford at home, um, avoids UCLA, uh, but has to travel to Utah and USC. Um, but it's also important to note that, like, even though a lot of people are predicting Oregon to just drop, and I think a large part of that is the second half of the uh, Alamo Bowl against TCU, where Oregon just proceeded to like vomit all over itself uh, for a half and three overtimes. Um, I think all those games are winnable. Um, the Famos FEI. Uh, has Oregon 
favored in every game that they will be playing this upcoming season. Um, and football outsiders and Bill Connolly have Oregon uh, only having a 48% chance of beating USC, but that's the only one they're not favored in. Um, but USC also has questions. So I don't see a situation um, where Oregon is going to win less than nine games. And there is an out. I see, I see a reality where Oregon does win all of their games because they get Stanford at home, who they beat last year with a terrible defense. They get Washington at home, who they beat with a terrible defense. And they get USC. Um, or they have to go to the Coliseum and play USC, uh, but hopefully, again, the defense has improved. So uh, I don't see any less than nine wins, though. Absolutely. And, of course, one thing that's great is we're going to be able to find out uh, throughout the season. Uh, that first week one matchup is against Cal Davis, who, of course, Dakota Cup has a history with. So we're going to find out a lot about the Oregon Ducks throughout the season. I want to thank you for coming on to the show, and I definitely uh, want to have you on throughout the season, especially in that matchup, uh, the preview of the matchup against Nebraska. Definitely. Thanks. All right. Now, of course, one of the things that's interesting, again, thank uh, Rusty Ryan from AddictedToQuack.com for coming on to the show, is uh, he mentioned the matchup against I'm sorry, against Texas Tech as a matchup, of course, that left a lot of uh, for the Oregon Ducks going into this upcoming season. And uh, who was the quarterback for that TCU squad? No, it was not Trevon Boykins, who, of course, had an incident take place that led to his arrest, that led to a eventual suspension. No, it was a backup quarterback in Kleinsoffer, a fifth-year walk-on who uh, had yet to had never thrown a pass that until that particular game. And uh, the reason I bring that up for is because, uh, of course, we do know that earlier today, uh, Teddy Bridgewater was lost for the season. And now everybody says that the NFL playoff hopes uh, for the Vikings may find themselves going out the window. Uh, although I find that laughable because all you heard people really do was criticize uh, the game management manager style of Teddy Bridgewater, but that's another story. Uh, nevertheless, uh, as I go back to the topic, it made me think and want to find out about the backup quarterbacks for a lot of the top 25 teams in the country. I wanted to look and find out about the experience that they had and uh, how much action they have gotten uh, during their time. With these. And uh, I came across a statistic uh, thanks largely to uh, MassMobile.com. And MassMobile.com, what it does is it somehow tabulates all the hits, all the injuries that occur to each position uh, in not only the NFL but also in college football. And what they did was they were able to create a statistic to determine, uh, one, uh, how many quarterbacks will be injured in a season, and, two, be able to determine the percentage or the likelihood of a quarterback being injured and on average how many games the quarterback has the tendency of missing uh, in a college football season. And so based off of those statistics, what I uncovered, thanks to MassMobile.com, was that uh, the quarterback position, it says in a one college football season in 15 games, uh, college football quarterback is going to be injured. Ten college football quarterbacks are not only going to be injured, but more likely than not will be lost for the season. 
And, you know, that's an interesting stat. When you compare it to the fact that you have 120 um, NFL college football teams, I mean, that statistic, it really isn't that significant. However, if, in fact, you wish to dig deeper, which, of course, is what I like to do, I found myself going to Math Mobile Logic. And Math Mobile Logic, what it did was it broke down uh, those injuries, and it said ultimately that a quarterback has an average of 2.5% of being injured in a game. That doesn't sound too big, but it also said that a quarterback specifically uh, has a 42% rate of being injured each snap. Those are pretty huge statistics. I mean, when you flip a coin, that's almost 50-50. Although, of course, the stat for the quarterback was the smallest percentage as it determined that defensive tackles have the highest likelihood of being injured and lost for the season. That, nevertheless, is a uh, statistic that I think bears some type of meaning in regards to how to approach this upcoming college football season. Now, of course, you know, we talk about college football. We always have a tendency to be optimistic. We try to think about the best. We think about the players performing at their ultimate capacity. We attempt to think about the players and presume that the players, of course, will have made strides from one year to the next. We also presume that these quarterbacks are all going to be healthy. However, we do know that those presumptions are actually kind of wrong. Why do you say that? Well, let's just look at the preseason AP Top 25 quarterback. Of course, number one or number two, based off of who you select, uh, the uh, Clemson Tigers, of course, yes, they do have a Heisman front runner a guy who's presumed to be the number one pick in the draft in this upcoming draft. However, they also have a quarterback by the name of Deshaun Watson who um, is quite injury prone. A quarterback who, of course, is recovering, supposedly completely healed uh, from um, a torn ACL. He, of course, is slender in size, slender in build. During the offseason, he put on, they said, about 15 pounds of extra muscle to try to deal with the punishment. But if you look at his statistics, it says that, of course, he uh, threw for over 3,000 yards and ran for over 1,000 yards. Now, these statistics are, of course, very impressionable. Awesome. Downright jaw-dropping. Amazing. Cam Newton-like, right? Uh, but nevertheless, when you apply those statistics and consider the fact that each snap that Deshaun uh, Watson takes, he puts himself at a 42% rate of possibly being injured on each snap, you say to yourself, man, that offense that they run, he is always constantly going to be exposing himself to injuries. Of course, he definitely was got his fair share of blows in the national championship game. And you say to yourself, well, if, in fact, um, Deshaun Watson gets hurt, who's the guy that's going to come in? Well, his name is Nick Schusler. Nick Schusler has not ever passed a pass in college football. He has absolutely no experience. But the hope and the prayer, of course, is that he's going to be holding a keyboard, a clipboard throughout the season. But if, in fact, he goes down and he's called into action, if either one for a series or for a couple of games, you can honestly say that maybe due to the explosiveness of Wayne Gallman and the experience that they have at wide receiver, that at least for the short term that their national championship hopes may not be immediately dashed. But, again, like I said, 42%. Each snap a quarterback takes, he has a 42% chance of being injured and lost for at least 3.1 games. Now, what other quarterback also 
may find themselves possibly hurt or lost for a series. Well, JT Barrett, fifth-year senior, he, of course, also, in addition to having an impressive season two seasons ago that, of course, almost led to him uh, winning the Heisman, almost led to him potentially leading his team to the national championship. But nevertheless, of course, he suffered an injury, a broken ankle. And you consider the fact that the way that he plays the game, you consider the offensive philosophy of an Urban Meyer offense where the quarterbacks are oftentimes exposed to injuries frequently and constantly, you say to yourself, who's the backup? Well, the backup is a guy by the name of Joe Burrow. Now, of course, you know, if you're – No scrubs get recruited to go to Ohio State. But Joe Burrow has no passes, no rushes, zero experience at the quarterback position. Now, of course, you know, before Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow was a third stringer behind a guy guy named Collier, who was actually quite impressive in spring games. But he went down with an injury in what? Urban Meyer's offense. So you wonder, it's a big question, can they rely on J.T. Barrett missing a couple of games in the offense that he plays and the amount of times he's going to be exposed to injuries or potentially missing a game? That is definitely something that you should be considering, though. Now, moving on to another team, uh, we do know that uh, DeAndre Francois was announced to be the starter for Florida State. However, who's his backup? It's not McGuire, who, of course, is still out with a foot injury. The backup is J.J. Constantino. Now, he had a couple of series last season, but his series that he played last year got awful, and that's just being nice. And so you say to yourself, now with Florida State not having McGuire, also having Malik Henry suspended indefinitely, J.J. Constantino may find himself one hit away uh, from being pulled into action. And the last time we saw him, it wasn't quite pretty. But who else we got? Well, of course, you have Quentin Dormady. Who's Quentin Dormady? Well, he is the backup quarterback for the Astro man himself, the Volunteers. Again, the offensive philosophy for Tennessee is they expose their quarterbacks to hits, which means that Dormady has to be ready. He, of course, had four-star billing, but, hey, you have to be ready to perform. And the offense that Tennessee runs, we do know Astro man, is going to find himself possibly exposing himself or putting himself at least at a 42% per snap risk of injury each time he drops back in the pocket or each time he keeps the ball on the spread offense. But who else you got? Well, Austin Kelly. Austin Kelly, you guys don't know him. The Sooners definitely do know him. He's the backup quarterback for the Oklahoma Sooners, backup quarterback for who? Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, of course, his style of play exposes him to injuries, and, of course, it definitely exposed him to injuries last season as, of course, he suffered a concussion in the college football playoff semifinals, and he also missed a game uh, earlier in the season. And so you say to yourself, although Austin Kendall may not be known now, you can honestly say that with these spread offenses that these quarterbacks, such as Deshaun Watson, such as the Astro man, I don't can't believe I don't remember his name, or such as uh, Blake and Mayfield, may find the championship hopes of these particular teams not resting on the arms and legs of their starters, but possibly on the arms and inexperience of uh, unproven backups who may have had the high school billing, but may lack the experience. But we're going to see how this ultimately turns out. Again, I don't wish injury upon anybody, 
But it's definitely statistics and numbers don't lie. And those statistics and numbers show you that, guess what, a quarterback is likely to possibly miss some time. But the question is, when those quarterbacks miss those times, will that mean that the champion chime is over? We're definitely going to see what's happening. And we're definitely going to see what's up. To bring the show to a close, thank Rusty for coming on to sharing his insight about the Oregon Ducks. Two days until kickoff, two days, four days until Saturday. Stay tuned to sports. I know I will. Peace. Wrong one. Thanks for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. Our show airs live every Tuesday and Thursday 